The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. The new college football playoff rankings are out. I'm upset with the committee. They have denied us a one versus two game in Athens on Saturday. Are there teams outside, say maybe the top 10, that might control their own destiny? I don't guess you might control your destiny. Do they or not? Plus, we've got games to play and plenty of them. The College Game Day podcast for Wednesday, November 2nd is here. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel. So the ninth iteration of the college football playoff rankings underway. And for only the second time, there is an interloper ranked at number one. In seven of the previous eight rankings, it had been either Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, or Georgia ranked number one. Mississippi State was number one in the first one. The only team ranked number one in the initial rankings not to eventually make the college football playoff. And now the Big Orange of Tennessee. Uh, Pete, I asked Josh Heupel last night, mm-hmm. I was like, uh, you know, most in the old days, you had a five-year plan to rebuild. Then it turned into a three-year plan to rebuild. Now you've got like a, you've, you've set up the bar to a year and two months. The team guys <laughs> have a year and two months to get their team to number one. So were you, were you at all surprised uh, or did you agree that Tennessee deserved to be number one in the first rankings? Wasn't surprised since you and I are going to pay Tennessee taxes this year from game day being in Knoxville a lot. <laughs> Thankfully, twice. no income uh, tax in Tennessee. Oh, all right. Here we go. How about that? Maybe we should hey. move. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was not surprised. I do think, like, it. we should take a moment, like you said, a year and two months, and just, like, tip our hat to Josh Heupel. When he rolled in there, he was an unpopular hire. The, the place has the shroud of an NCAA investigation hanging over it. There had just been utter dysfunction for years and years. And he simply went in and installed his system, found a, a quarterback in the portal that pretty much anybody could have gotten, right? Mm-hmm. And found one that matched its skills and then just went. Uh, I talked to an NFL scout this week who went through Tennessee this summer. And I said, hey, could you have seen this coming? And he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and so... Again, I think it, we lionize coaches sometimes in the sport a little bit too much. Uh, there's a deification because the players sort of, relatively speaking to the NFL, uh, churn through so quick that we put a lot of t- attention on the coaches. But this is Josh Heupel's system, Alex Golish's play calling, you know, in the collision of elite talent with the right fit. Uh, and it's just been a remarkable ascent I would even venture to say, at least in the last generation, uh, unprecedented might be strong because I'm sure there was teams that were 500 and, and were in you know playoff contention or, or title contention the next year. But nobody could have seen this coming. Not the most wide-eyed Tennessee fan, the most optimistic Tennessee fan. I don't even think the coaching staff at Tennessee mm-hmm. could have seen themselves be number one in this. So I agree with it completely, but I do think we should just take a step back and tip our hat because what an ascent. It's it's been just a phenomenal performance. Um, I didn't see this coming at all. I did have Tennessee ranked fairly high in my preseason uh, top 25. Not that that matters. 
but I thought they had a great chance to be a top 15, top 20 type team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did I think that they, you know, look, nobody's invincible. Everybody catches up. People make adjustments. Guys have bad days, all that kind of stuff. But they look unstoppable. You know, them, them and even when Ohio State sputtered last week, those two offenses, to me, look the closest thing to whatever a football definition is of being unstoppable. Mm-hmm. And Georgia's going to get a test against them. Georgia's going to have to score uh, in, in that game Saturday. I joked right off the top that I was upset with the committee. I, I'm being a little facetious about that. Selfishly, I wanted game day to be at the sure. one versus two matchup. And I guess with AP, I guess we still have it to a degree, but everybody goes by the college football playoff rankings now. So, you know, I didn't really have any major issue. There were some there were some little things you obviously could argue that TCU should have been ranked higher. You mm-hmm. easily could say that that Clemson is a little lofty. Um, but only by a spot or two. So <laughs> I wasn't terribly bothered by anything that that they did. Is it exactly how I have them lined up? No. But I thought that everything that they did was was reasonable. Yeah, everything is very fixable. Uh, as these rankings have gone on, I've gotten sort of less and less emotionally tied to where they are early because they're they're going to change. If you think Michigan should be four instead of five, well they beat Ohio State, they're gonna be in there. You know, yeah, there's there's yeah. no question about no question about that. Um do you think uh TCU should uh, should be over Bama? I think it's a reasonable argument, but I can see where the committee's coming from in there. But if TCU wins out and is an undefeated Big Twelve champion, they will make the college football playoff. We've never had four undefeated conference champions. That's just not mm. that's just not the way college football is wired to work. So I wouldn't be sitting there sweating if I was TCU. And I think if you are a Pac-12 fan, you've got three schools that could say, "Hey, we can we can go make a run at." At, at number four um, and I, and you know, Utah probably not cause they have the second loss, but mm-hmm. I, I really feel like this, you know, there's a, there's a pretty vibrant available field here. Um, and, and look, don't laugh if, if LSU wins and is six and two and gets hot and, and, and rolls on and, and wins the West, they're at least that they're going to put themselves in a two loss conversation because a mm-hmm. win over number six Bama is going to put you right in that five, six neighborhood. Um, and then from there you could go, you you're there and you topple somebody, whether it's Georgia or Tennessee in the, in the SEC title game. And uh, you know, you're, you know, you are, you are in the thicket of that conversation. So, you know, again, we don't root for teams, but I root for an abundance of stories, right? I just mm-hmm. don't want it to be dull and predictable. And and I think this year has sort of delightfully countered the the narrative that Alabama and Georgia are pulling away, Ohio State's pulling away, and everybody's left behind, and the sport mm-hmm. is becoming boring and predictable. I think this season has just been, you know, a, a complete Yahtzee game, and we'll we'll see that going down the stretch. Now, now look, Bear said something there in one of our meetings. Yeah, and at the end, it's going to be Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson, and it could be. It could be, but the the way there has not been predictable, and the mm-hmm. way there has not been linear, and and that's what I've said. Everybody overreacts to this, and 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 I'm sure it's time to expand the playoff, but and it may be those four teams again, but it doesn't look likely that it's going to be that group of four right now. That somebody would be an outlier there, and it could well be that it's a, a totally new field, and if so then it shows the cyclical nature 
of the whole thing. So uh, I think it's been really fun. The LSU point is interesting because there'd be a couple of, um, if LSU, just so everybody, so, you know, people are on board, they've got two losses, but one was to Florida State, non-conference. So if they beat, um, if they beat Alabama, um, they'll be a game up in the loss column and have the head-to-head. They'll virtually eliminate Alabama. And they'll also have the head-to-head against Ole Miss, who plays Alabama next week. So LSU, will they have two road games left, but they'll have a really clear path to the SEC championship. Now, does that clear path extend to the college football playoff if they were to beat Georgia or avenge their loss against Tennessee? My suggestion would be they need to avenge their loss to Tennessee because I think you could bring a two-loss SEC champion with a blowout loss on its resume, even with a win over Georgia, and you could make a case against them if there are others in the field. You know, mm-hmm. others that uh, you could make a case for a one-loss Tennessee that didn't make it uh, to the SEC championship game, for instance, especially with a four-touchdown win over LSU in their place. You could that could be very akin to the Penn State Ohio State situation in 2016 when Penn State won the Big Ten, but Ohio State went to the playoff. I'm so, sure the LSU fans and the Tennessee fans would handle that debate very rationally. Reason yeah, very and, very calm, you know, reasonable. Yeah. It'd be like the Lincoln Douglas debates. Yeah, it would be. It, people would be very. They would use their metrics. They would use. They would. They, and boy, would they use some words? They probably make up some new words. But it would be. It'd be a really interesting thing, and it would be the one scenario under which I could see an SEC champion not making it. Maybe. I mean, it depends on all of the other circumstances. But in Brian Kelly's first year, if they win Saturday night, if they if they go on to the SEC championship game, whatever happens there. And he didn't give us a lot of indication if they were to play Tennessee again that they could beat them. Um, and you know, if Georgia wins, then you know certainly Georgia would be favored. So it may be a moot point. But that that's the scenario that would delight. I don't think it would leave the SEC out completely. Whoever loses the Georgia-Tennessee game would probably still have a good shot to get in. But it would. I don't think it would automatically – maybe here's a better way to say it, Pete. I don't think it would be automatically, well, the SEC is getting two because LSU has to go because they're the champion. And then, you know, whoever the one-loss team is, either Georgia or Tennessee. So. Can you imagine, Greg Sankey, if the SEC champion does not make the college football playoff, his head would explode. And I'm not saying they yeah. won't. Yeah. But but I would have. I. Oh, there'd be arguments. There would, would be arguments. Take, it would take. We something. haven't had a full on, crazy, insane playoff like field yeah. yet. The first one the in first my one memory was close. Yeah. Was, cl- was close. That one was a little bit bonkers. But we haven't had a full on like pull your hair out, you know, the, the, the debates have kind of just, you know, there's been some drama. There was, uh, was it Ohio state versus Alabama that year for the fourth spot? Yeah. Uh, 17, 17. Yeah. yeah. So there's been, you know, there's been a little bit, but there has not been any knockdown drag out like committee members getting like uh, letters from the watcher at their house type yeah. debate. Now yeah. uh, we're due to be honest. It's been it's been a few years, and historically, uh, it was 15 years ago. You had the 2007 season that everybody Ooh. everybody references. But I I want to be consistent. Even a two loss SEC champion with that blowout loss on its resume, uh, I would be inclined against them 
if no one else has a similar smudge on it. And I, I also, but I would say it might be mitigated to a degree if, say, like Georgia in 17, although, you know, Georgia didn't have two losses, but Georgia avenged its only loss, lost to Auburn in the regular season and beat them in the SEC championship game. But I, I would have a, I would have difficulty with LSU with that big loss on its resume absent absent everyone else competing against them having some type of similar smudge you know i've i've been pretty consistent in that with a small mm-hmm. oh, field yeah. with a the small Davis principle yeah with a small field man you you can lose but having having something like that that makes you go wow you might you might step in an empty elevator shaft on the biggest stage. And, you know, I think you have to eliminate as much evidence of that as possible if you're going to be in a 14 field. I've never heard that saying, step in an empty elevator shaft. Yeah, Yeah. well, you know what happens if you do that? You fall. Correct. No, I know. Really fast. I I just had never, uh, (laughs) I've never heard that. It's it's sort of like very Wiley Coyote. Well, I'm, I'm a fan. I like, I told you earlier in an earlier podcast, I like the three stooges. I like Wiley Coyote. Uh, falling and smashing his face at the bottom of a cliff. That's fun. It's educational for kids too, because you know, we're just funny. turning all the Gen Z off the pod right now. They just, no, no, no. they should watch, be into uh, it. They watch, watch it on the old stuff. That's what someone said about, about the advent of all the streaming services and all the new, the watcher and all of this stuff. He said, I read somebody recently who said, what if everybody decides you just want to watch old Columbo reruns or something, <laughs> and, you know, and none of this stuff, none of this stuff catches on. But quick story about that. You know, people say, well, how do you like the Three Stooges and Wiley Coyote? It's violent. When when I was a kid, my dad, who was, you know, a tough guy, but a gentle guy, he, he you know, strong, strong man of faith and all of that. But he loved like dirty, hairy movies and, you know, and cowboy shoot 'em ups and all that kind of stuff. And and my my mom would often say to him, Jerry, how can you watch this? It's so gory. And he would look at her almost incredulously and go, "Well, it's not real." <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's like the, the the guy that Dirty Harry just took a shot at. He he got up and they had lunch together after the movie. It's all good, you know. It's like it's not real, and you know. So let your kids watch Wiley e. Coyote and fall off a cliff. They know it's not real. It's a cartoon. So, yeah. but there are games this week. The good the good thing is yes. Uh, but but you wanted you well, no, let, let's just end with this. So obviously. Um, now that the shows have rankings and they're not shows about the rankings eventually coming, um, the, the, you know, there's a lot of college football. America was tuned in and locked in last night. So walk me through Reese a little bit. And I, again, I'm new at ESPN, so I don't know all the nuances of behind the scenes. Like when do you get the, like how much prep time do you have? Are you surprised on the air when it comes on? Or, or do you get like a little bit of headway? Some graphics person has to know, right? Um, so get, just walk me through a little bit of uh, like how that, how, that, how that sausage is made. Nine years ago when we started the playoff, this was a big debate. And ultimately, we decided the first week that we wouldn't see them. Obviously, oh. the producer sees them. The, uh, the graphics operator, Zach, who came in talking all kinds of Penn State stuff, and I'd never met him before. And finally, after he was talking, I was like, hi, I'm Reese. What's your name? And it turns out Zach is the guy who on selection day will be the most powerful man in the sport because he will have the rankings and waiting to type them in on the screen before we can reveal them. How about but that? we don't we don't see them. We get no hint. We get no peek. And so we want natural 
okay. uh, authentic uh, reaction. So we don't have a peak. In fact, it extends to this. Our coordinating producer, Drew Gallagher, was in the studio last night. And he said, maybe a question you want to ask um, Boo. And I said, stop. Stop right there. Don't tell me the question. He's like, why? I said, when you tell me the question, I'm going to know something about the rankings. Don't tell me. And so he didn't. Of course, Joey Galloway had great sport with this. And Joey kept saying, um, you know, Reese thinks he's too smart for Drew. And I'm like, no, no, no. Drew and I just <laughs> know each other so well that and we've worked together for so long that I will be able. And I said, and Drew would be able to do the same with me, by the way. Uh, Drew knows in advance what I'm about to complain to him about. <laughs> um, so I said, I will know from the question Drew wants me to pose to Boo Corrigan, I will know something about the rankings I don't want to know. So none of us know anything about them, and we react on the fly. I'm stunned Drew went uh, when the Phillies were in the World Series and showed up at work. That's impressive. I would have thought he was like, you know, he was like eating a cheesesteak, uh, doing some doing some juju at home to get a few more runs for the uh, for his Phillies. So. <laughs> I think uh, I think he's MIA today. I think he might. I think he yeah. might be. Um, he might have. He wasn't at the World Series game last night, but that no. Let's see, they played tonight. They played tonight too. I think. I don't know uh, to be honest I, with you. Yeah, I, I got. I I should. I know had, that I had Maction on both screens after yeah. the uh, after the selection show, so that's yeah. where that's where mine. I I got some score alerts and you know <laughs> certainly uh, certainly always easy to eat, root for the Astros to lose, right? But yeah, um, yeah I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm not locked in. I was uh, I I was seeing. I was watching Buffalo and uh, you know Kent. Um, in there, so there was uh, another there. one. There was another one on the U too. No, that, so it was. Uh, yeah, I, it, I watched it was, some. Of it was Kent Ball State. Yeah, and then Kent. Buffalo, Ohio. Ohio played really well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're uh, yeah, they were good games on our family of networks. Yeah, that's that's a that's a dedicated guy right there. Well, the good thing we talk about the rankings, it's fun, but everything's going to change by definition because Tennessee and Georgia one and three play. Um, Alabama and LSU six and ten play. Then you have Clemson with really what should be its last test prior to the ACC championship game or the road game at Notre Dame. And it depends on what you think of Notre Dame's progress, just how big a test that'll be, or what you think of Clemson. Uh, everybody else that's a contender pretty much has what ought to be an easy game, save one team that Pollock pointed out last night that that could well control its destiny as much as destiny can be controlled, maybe control its fate, is is Illinois. Yeah, Illinois has one loss. Uh, Illinois is Michigan State, or at least the number of Spartans that aren't suspended, coming in. Illinois is ranked 16th, but if they blow through and win the West and play Michigan or Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game and sitting there at 11-1, that might be the team farthest off the radar that has a relatively clear, I won't say clear path, that because that implies that they're going to do it, a clearly defined path from being ranked that far back to get into the playoffs. So you're saying there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance. I'm well, saying I mean, we should give Brett Bielma the same kudos that we gave Josh Heupel. Absolutely. Nobody could have thought we were using the words Illinois and playoff in the same sentence. Like just even the notion of them being ranked is pretty mind bending right now. And uh, look, he has done exactly what Josh Whitman hired him to do. 
He has built Wisconsin at Illinois. Mm-hmm. He did it faster. Usually you can't, you, you can't microwave good lines, right? You have to nurture them, build them, you know, bring in a great strength coach. And those things take time. Um, in theory, you could probably get a spread tempo thing going a little faster, no pun mm-hmm. intended, than you could uh, bully ball. Like it's hard to just manufacture bully ball, but boy, they're bullying the ball. And I, I don't, to be clear, I don't expect that to happen. <laughs> I, I don't think they have the horses to. In fact, you felt the need to say that is enough that like, that's the highest compliment there. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I mean, this is a, this could be a long-term thing and just if they could make Indianapolis and in the big 10 championship game, which it seems very likely that that they'll do i mean they've got you know they've got purdue um not this saturday but the following one but you know then they go to michigan which will give us a really good indication of where they are but well i should change the phrase because where they will be is ann arbor but where they are figuratively in terms of their development and whether they are an actual contender and we'll we'll know a lot more about them then but just having having them in this position is is a remarkable accomplishment. And I thought, you know, they're probably the one. Everybody else needs some degree of help. Pac-12 teams need, um, you know, need teams to lose in front of them uh, and make sure you don't have a bunch of undefeated champions. And this week in, in that conference and really at the very top of the Big Ten, it's sort of the best against the worst in in most cases. I mean, Ohio State, Ohio State has Northwestern, Michigan has Rutgers, um, you know, USC has Cal, who's won one conference game. Um, Oregon's got Colorado, who's won one game, period. It was a conference game. So you've got a lot of best versus worst and a lot of sort of uh, not a lot to get excited about in terms of matchups in those leagues, almost like they're they're sort of taking the pad, the resume, pad, the stats Saturday. In all your years doing the ranking show, what was the biggest surprise that like sent a shockwave through you in the desk? Was there ever like a, Whoa. Um, you mean prior to the finale? Yeah. Like not the finale hasn't had a ton of surprises. Yeah, other than I, that I think, I think year. that it might've been, it might've been that year, the first year and we were all getting used to it, but in 14, it might've been the first rankings. I think um, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I want to say that, uh, Maybe it was Mississippi State, Auburn, and Ole Miss were all in the top four of the first rankings, something that like that. sounds right. Uh, I know there were three SEC teams. I think those were the three. I think having all of them there might have been the one. And and candidly, <clears throat> even though I thought it was, was the right decision, I was a little surprised uh, that Ohio State didn't go over Alabama in 17. Um, I, I thought it was the right choice, but I was a little surprised because of – the you know the conference championship aspect of it so you know and it would have been reasonable to take ohio state you know that year too i don't think it would have been some type of um you know egregious decision but i I think those are probably the ones there might be another one somewhere along the line the and the final one in 14 when when tcu moved moved down you know from 155 to three and then moved all the way to six um that that was that was probably Gary Patterson still brings that up. Yeah. Because yeah. what happens if they go to the playoff? Did that, does that change the paradigm there? Does that change the recruiting? It's, a, you know, again, that's some like rabbit hole for a may podcast, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But those probably, 
Because I think until you get, we, we haven't had a lot of drama uh, the last couple of years anyway. It hasn't seemed, um, you know, with the with the four teams that would be in. And I sort of suspect that we might be headed for some this year, uh, which yeah, that just puts a smile on your face thinking about. Oh, it. yeah. Tension, drama, all those things. That's what makes <laughs> the sport go round. Yeah. Before we move on, there's one quick thing I want to mention. The NBA is off and running. Get your basketball fix with the low post. Zach Lowe is talking basketball with the smartest people in the business. Now twice a week, follow the low post wherever you're listening to this podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What are you most looking forward to? What do you think determines the game? Tennessee, Georgia. Is it as simple as Georgia getting a few stops, maybe even forcing the rare turnover? Or is it sort of, as I suspect, it's more about how much pressure Georgia's offense can put on Tennessee's defense and not that they're going to ball hog the, the, the rock and, you know, hold it for 38 minutes or something, but how much pressure they can put on them by scoring every time. Which 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 side do you lean on that? Yeah, so I am like way too X's and O's locked into this game from talking to all those coaches, so I'm, I'm fired up for this. Um, so let's start with uh, let's start with Georgia on offense. And, you know, they have the best tight end tandem in the country with, uh, with obviously Washington and Bowers. I don't think anyone's going to deny that. And if they are going to win this game, they're going to have to control the ball, like you said, on offense, and they are going to have to utilize Brock Bowers. I had a coach tell me he thinks Brock Bowers is the single best college football player in the country this year. And the matchup there was pretty interesting because when, when Bowers lines up, there's either going to be a defensive back on him, a smaller nickel corner who gets bullied, there's a linebacker who he'd catch 11 balls on for 181 yards, or there's a safety that a lot of teams don't have the kind of safety, uh, you know, athleticism to cover him. So I really feel like it's rare that the tight end matchup dictates what a defense does, but I feel like in Tennessee's case, that would be the key matchup in order to watch. So if they're going to control the ball, play bully ball, obviously Darnell Washington is on their side. He is a lunar eclipse. He is a massive human. <laughs> we we are around a lot of big humans. We are not around a lot of big humans like number zero for uh, for for Georgia. And he can like jump up and do one handed touchdown because he is a he's a freak. There aren't a lot of teams where you can say both tight ends are going to be first round picks. So you can you can safely say that here. Now, the other interesting part of Georgia's offense is that they don't have a tailback who's in the top 15 in the SEC in rushing, which is rare considering just the the rare cats that have gone through there at the tailback position there the last eight years. Um, and they don't really have a wide receiver. I think Lad McConkey's 15th. In, now, Bowers is the fourth leading receiver in the SEC, so he's going to be their clear target. McConkey's very good. But and he'll probably play in the NFL, but I don't think he's an elite SEC receiver. So, so much of what they are going to do and they're going to try to do is going to be based on their offensive line. That'll be the best offensive line that Tennessee sees this season. 
And the, really, I think the tight end position there is is the matchup. So before I start prattling on about the other side, Reese, um, and obviously you got Stetson Bennett running the ball for first downs is going to be a key too. Um, he's obviously had a great year. He's increased his completion percentage. He's been a very good quarterback. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if there's some pressure on him, if he forces some things or lets it come to him in this game. Um, what do you think the key is in Georgia's offense, Reese, if they're going to control the ball like you, you suggested? I think I think they're going to need to run it effectively. Uh, one of the things that I was looking at yesterday was comparing explosive plays. And you would think, and you'd be right to some degree, that, you know, Tennessee – you know, leads the nation with an absurd, like, 36 plays of 30 yards or longer. Well, Georgia doesn't really do that. Um, but what Georgia does, um, as well as anybody, is they get 10-yard plays. So they they get chunks. Their chunks are just smaller. They don't hit home runs like Tennessee, but they hit a heck of a lot of doubles. And so I think if they can, if they can run it, uh, with that plethora of backs, and we saw, you know, Dejon Edwards was really good against Florida. You know, whichever running back they go to, I think if they can run it, use the wide receivers from time to time, and then continue to feed Bowers in Washington, I think they can control the ball, beat them up a little bit, and then give their defense a little confidence that, hey, if we can force them into one mistake, and then what kind of chances – Will will Kirby take, especially without Nolan Smith, to try to get some heat on Hendon Hooker? Because there's been no blueprint to stop them. But the team that probably did best was Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh blitzes from about the time you walk out of the locker room. So that's not necessarily in in Kirby and you know Will Muschamp and you know Schumann, all the guys on that staff. It's not really what they do all the time, but will they break it up a little bit and try to heat up Hooker and see if they can force him into making some mistakes that he hasn't made all year? So that that's the that's the thing to me. I think they can run it. I think they will run it at home. I think they'll control the ball and be very effective on offense. And the the thing I want to see on the other side is how much does Georgia send the house and say, you know what, make the throw and make it now and then see if they can trust their guys to to stay with them long enough. So I had a defensive coach tell me that he really thought it was an advantage that Georgia is going to go second here defensively because their system is so similar to Saban's system. You know, it's funny. Um, Pollock doesn't agree with that. He doesn't think it's that that similar. He thinks there are a lot of distinct differences. So they've evolved, and including yeah. with simulated pressures last year with with Lanning. But mm-hmm. I, at the very fundamental base of it, there's an understanding of Bama and what they were trying to do mm-hmm. and what worked and what didn't. Now, I'm obviously not the as X's and O's savvy as David, so I certainly don't want to be disagreeing with him. But I do think fundamentally you can learn a lot when you can understand the the wiring and structure of a defense and the intent of a defense mm-hmm. and what worked and what didn't. So Alabama played them very passively. They dropped eight a ton. They And they dropped Will Anderson to coverage quite a bit, uh, according to this coach who, who I talked to who studied it. And they, that was not a good plan. I really think that the loss of Nolan Smith is going to be a crushing personnel loss for Georgia in this game. Now, Jalen Carter coming back is a huge addition 
Um, he only played about 20 snaps against Florida, but boy, was he impactful. And I think he only had like one tackle, but that doesn't matter. If you can just completely annihilate the pocket and be disruptive from the interior and going into the season, to me, Jalen Carter was the single best defensive lineman in the country and maybe the single best football player in the country. So there's just going to be more onus on him to play more snaps coming off the uh, MCL injury against Missouri. And he is going to have to be a conscientious disruptor because I don't think without Smith, Georgia really has the the type of guys on the edge who can get to the quarterback. So the, the where Tennessee, in, we're going to pick the games on Friday, obviously, where, where Tennessee has the biggest advantage here is Georgia's corners outside of Keeley Ringo are pedestrian. And there's some people I talk to who don't even think Keeley Ringo is like a first-round pick good. They think he's... Uh, you know, they, they think he's he's good. You know, he's height, weight, speed. He's going to get drafted high, but they don't think his performance maybe matches his reputation. And then when you go opposite him and you go to uh, you go to Lassiter, and then behind Lassiter, you have a lot of young, inexperienced players. And if there's one thing that Heupel and uh, Alex Golish have shown they can do is find the weakness and pound the weakness. And mm-hmm. that is distinctly where... Uh, Georgia's defense is weak right now. Um, a couple of people said they thought it would be helpful to Tennessee that Kent actually moved the ball decent against Georgia. Now, again, mm-hmm. Kent wasn't going to beat Georgia. Kent did not run the normal tempo they run. So Kent State, I should say this, um, Kent State runs a similar Baylor-ish style of offense. Um, and again, they don't have the same athletes. They don't have the same uh, quarterback but they do, they do at least have a similar sort of unconventional system. Georgia particularly struggled with exotic formations. Um, so there's a little blueprint, like just like we said, Georgia had a defensive blueprint perhaps to follow or not follow from Alabama. I think Tennessee's blueprint is going to come through what worked and what didn't for Kent. Uh, but there is the coaches I talked to, Reese, there's a lot of optimism that Tennessee is going to be able to move the ball, move the ball effectively and win the game. I think I, I, they're they're going to score. This is one of those things where, in the old days, a good defensive performance you couldn't fathom a good defensive performance being holding someone to thirty one points. You know, say if Georgia can hold them to thirty one points, that's a really good day at the office. And then the question becomes, you know, can you put more than that on the board? I would I would suspect to win the game, Georgia is going to need to score forty points, which. That's not foreign to them. They're they're top 10 in the country in offense and scoring offense. It's not like they don't score. You follow the recruiting really closely. With Nolan Smith being out, is is this the unveiling of Marvin Jones, the freshman? He's a little bit farther down the depth chart. Would you see someone unexpected? Have you have you heard of anyone? I think we'll see some, I think we'll see some Marvin Jones. I don't think there's, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I, and again, some of it's going to be uh, situationally. And then what can, can you actually do things situationally with the, uh, with, with the tempo? But I think Marvin's Jones jr. The, the, the true freshman, we, we will see, uh, we will see some of in this, uh, in this game, along with Marvin Jones jr. I think Chas Chambliss who, who played a bunch against Florida and played pretty well, I, I think he's going to get a, you know, a, a, a lot more snaps and they're going to have to rely on him more. He'd had a bit of a gummy hamstring. So his, his health and his ability to play full snaps are, are going to be, are going to be interesting. He's obviously uh he's obviously a backup, uh, a, a backup there. Now he's, he's a sophomore. So look like it's, it's an interesting test of the recruiting machine, right? You can bring in all these five stars, 
how ready are they going to be right under yeah. the duress and how ready are they going to be to adjust to the speed and the tempo too if you haven't played a ton of snaps this year there's there's no way to really prepare yourself for the football game snaps that you're going to play against Tennessee I don't care how many how many conditioning runs you do. I don't care how hard you work in the weight room. That's a different deal. So it'll be really interesting with some guys who played lighter snaps to see how they how they can go in and, and, and hold up under that tempo. And you're gonna have to play a lot of guys. And that's mm-hmm. why it'll be it'll be interesting to see when you uh when you look at their secondary, um, when you have well, Tyke Smith, who's a who's a transfer, is gonna get more snaps. They've been waiting on him too. He missed almost all last year with injury, but he was a really good player at West Virginia and and a guy who's who's been around and seen and seen a lot of fast offenses in his days. Sure. Dalen Everett, the the freshman, um, you know, these guys are going to get rotated in six and twenty-three. And, you know, Tennessee's going to find them and they are going to uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna do that. Now I've 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 knocked Georgia secondary a little bit. Coaches rave about Malachi Starks, the, uh, the 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 true freshman free safety who's been starting for them. Mm-hmm. They really feel like he is an an elite elite player um, who's who's going to just kind of be one of those next creatures to come out of Georgia and be a be a three and done in a first round pick. He's uh, he is clearly clearly one of those special guys that's just a different uh, a different cat. So all that said, he's still a freshman. It'll be interesting to see. Um, when he's put under duress this uh, this weekend, how he responds. You know, it's really interesting to me. There are obvious parallels between this Tennessee team and 2019 LSU team. You've got a you've got an old quarterback. You've got uh, a boatload of dangerous receivers. You've got sort of coming out of nowhere, surviving an early game on the road against an opponent who turned out not to be as good as people thought in the preseason. For LSU, it was Texas. For uh, Tennessee, it was Pittsburgh. You get a marquee win, and now the real test is beating a juggernaut in their place in November. So much of this has been because we're so offensive-centric in college football now. Is what in the world is Georgia going to do with Tennessee? I'm almost getting some vibes here. As much as I do buy into that there are parallels and, and valid comparisons between 2019 LSU and, and 2022 Tennessee, I'm starting to get a little bit of poor old Georgia. What in the world is Georgia going to do? And I, I think that that's going to help them from an emotional standpoint. And I also think there's a little bit of we've kind of forgotten about Georgia. And this is what you do to champions and teams who have won something. You start picking at the flaws rather than uh, rather than appreciating the strengths. They can't do this. They can't do that. Well, you know, that I think. I think we've I think Georgia is the most underappreciated defending national champion that's still undefeated that we've had in, in recent memory. Now a lot of that schedule, a lot of that's because they stumbled around against Kent State and Missouri because they were you know somewhat disinterested. Schedule hasn't done them any favors because the their SEC opponents haven't been very good. Um this is a real opportunity for Georgia, too. Not just to stop the Tennessee juggernaut. It's an opportunity for Georgia to go, hey, we're a standard bearer here. You have to measure up to us. And it's also a test to see if to see if Georgia is that. Now, Georgia's not going anywhere. 
if it loses the game. I mean, they'll they'll be back next year and the year after that and all years you can see in the foreseeable future. But at least for this season, as it's defined, this is a pretty huge moment for Georgia. It's easy to make it about Tennessee because they're the bright, shiny new toy and they're number one, highest ranking they've ever had. Georgia has an opportunity here, too, to sort of throw down a gauntlet and remind everybody who they are. Yeah, I think, Reese, it's a great point. And uh, Georgia is still an eight-point favorite right now. Um, and Georgia has built... Oh, how can the, that be? Oh, poor old Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they built the mm-hmm. best mousetrap outside of Tuscaloosa right now. And, the, again, you play in these big games, and it's a, it's a test of that depth. Um, one of the interesting things some of the coaches I talked to this week said was they felt Georgia played harder than Alabama. They felt Georgia was more dialed into their scheme than Alabama. They maybe did a little bit less, but they could because they did less, they did it a little bit better. They really felt like through all three phases, they were threaded together better. Um, and look, Georgia's ridiculously talented. We're, we're certainly not, uh, you know, we're certainly not sitting here undercutting what, what's been built there and the talent that's there. We've had a lot of conversation and not really talked about the development of Stetson Bennett, which I think has really been the key to letting this younger Georgia team come along is that Stetson Bennett has been the, the best version of Stetson Bennett we've seen this year. It's essentially national title game Stetson Bennett who has played through a, a majority of this season. They've loosened up the playbook for him a little bit. He's a threat with his legs. He's accurate. Um, you know, do I think Stetson Bennett gets drafted in the NFL? We'll have three months to, you know, discuss that after the season ends. Probably not. Do I think Stetson Bennett can be an elite, iconic college quarterback? Uh, yes. And I think he is He is that, and he has become that. Um, and then you have Broderick Jones, the left tackle, will be a high pick in the draft. You have uh, the best center in the country in many people's names, Cedric Von Prawn. Um, and then uh, you, you have a generally an offensive line with Warren McClendon at right tackle that is that is viewed as one of the highest end in the in the SEC. So they are both protecting Bennett, giving him some time um, to, to let it rip, which he's done a little bit more this year. And uh, you're also opening up holes for that sort of uh, cadre of tailbacks. Uh, one, one last point from some of the defensive coaches who played Georgia this year, Reese. They really gave a lot of credit to Todd Munkin in the way he calls plays. And this is something that's unquantifiable, even in, uh, even in analytics. They're like plays you watch and study when they play you, they, they become different plays. Like they really thought he just broke tendencies and just kept a nice balance and a rhythm and a cadence. And again, you don't have Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. You have Stetson Bennett at quarterback. So he is, he has evolved, developed, accommodated for that. Really used the tight ends in 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 creative ways. Um, now I noticed Eric Gilbert did not play against Florida. He has sort of popped up a few times, and obviously, um, you know he's he's a extremely talented tight end who has who has gone through some you know significant personal struggles, and that's kind of been a. Uh, 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 just a little bit of an ordeal there with Georgia trying to get him ready to get on the field. Um, so I don't know if we'll see him as their third tight end at all. My guess would be no um, if he didn't play, but I don't I don't know that. But I do think that is just like, oh, by the way, here's this, you know, 
high, highly regarded player who is just sort of not really impacting the program in a significant way who's there. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, give give Munkin a lot of credit. that He got many – the best compliments that I find are when you're not looking for them. And people mm-hmm. people volunteered and brought up Munkin and the job he did distributing rhythm, keeping defenses off balance, et cetera. I know he's not the prototype. I spent a bunch of time on this podcast or a similar one last year touting Stetson Bennett. He's good. Everybody, it, just every everybody needs to accept it. He's really good. And the only thing that's going to keep him from getting drafted is probably that he's not the biggest guy in the world. And even as big a Stetson Bennett supporter as I am, there are some moments that where his sort of whirling dervish gunslinger, don't give a crap attitude, and I mean that in a good way, meaning that he's fearless about the consequences, can occasionally get him in trouble. And so you're going to have one or two of those plays a game. And he'll he'll need to temper that Saturday without uh, tempering what makes him really good, and that's the fact that he'll turn it loose. I, I love that about him, man. He he'll throw the football and he'll take off running, and he's a baller. And mm-hmm. I'll take him, you know. And if he's willing to be a backup in the NFL, I think he's one of those guys could be, you know, make a whole bunch of money being a backup. And when he comes in every now and then, you're gonna go, why don't they play this dude more? I mean, I it's he's good. I mean, he's good. He's just not big. You know that's it's kind of that's kind of my assessment of of Stetson. So yeah, yeah. no, look, it it's it's a great quarterback matchup, right? I I would think Hendon Hooker's first on all of our Heisman ballots metaphorically right now. Um, another great point a coach brought up was like Hendon Hooker's not the most accurate guy in the world, and exactly. they really they really yeah. thought that between Tillman, who has a ridiculous catch radius, Hyatt, who can run under anything, and the offense itself. The offense has accentuated the positives in Hendon Hooker's game, including, quite frankly, his ability to run, um, which will which will come into play on on Saturday evening. Um, you and, know, one thing, one quick thing yeah. about the accuracy—that's what Alabama thought, mm-hmm. and they did a terrible job of exploiting it. And so maybe that's the fu- most fundamental question for Georgia. If Georgia thinks that too, can they make him be accurate? Alabama didn't make him, you know, and and he, boy, did he make them pay for it. So, and to your point, Golish and Hype will do a really good job of, you know, not not making not making him fit it into a window, you know, the size yes. of a keyhole. They don't make him do exactly. that. You know, yeah, the, so. the, the the mail slot uh, theory. I did have a scout tell me they thought Jalen Hyatt was the fastest player in college football. Um, which my eyes would certainly tell me that I don't have I don't have stopwatches and there could be some guy at Utah State who runs a four two seven that we don't know about. But mm-hmm. boy, game speed. Woo! Well, Jalen Hyatt's got it, man. I'd, got like, it. I'd like to know the, the GPS on, on oh, him to yeah. see what it says and compare it with some of the fastest players in, in the sport. Um, Alabama LSU Saturday night, going to be on ESPN. Big-time opportunity for LSU to take control of the SEC West. Uh, an elimination game, uh, certainly mm-hmm. from the national championship and almost certainly – for the SEC championship. It won't be definitive, but almost certainly for the SEC championship. Well, how do you think Alabama responds down there? 
Look, I think this is going to be a slobber knocker. I, I don't think there's any chance Alabama goes in there and just rolls. Um, LSU's, LSU is too good and too athletic, and that environment is going to be too intense. And in Alabama, look, Alabama owns Mississippi State. So honestly, like I don't take a ton out of that. I think Nick Saban knows all 12 of Mike Leach's plays and knows when he's going to call them and knows how to swallow that hole. Um, to me, this game, the most interesting part of this game is it's really a, a great test for development of Jaden Daniels, who has who has come on in a spectacular way here in the past in the past few games. He really struggled early. I mean, remember the images of him in that Florida State game, Reese, that that opening weekend, and uh, they, they've been really really happy with his development there. Obviously, the the, the results have uh, have have followed that now. There's you know there's there's a difference right there's a difference between doing it against uh, Ole Miss there's a difference between doing it against Florida and then there's doing it against Nick Saban's defense if there's one thing about Saban and Belichick they tend to devour limited quarterbacks and accentuate mm-hmm. their weaknesses and so what a what a fantastic I mean Dan has been a, a, a great story this year uh, just sort of this is what college football is it's coming coming in understanding your limitations being humbled and then re- recrafting yourself you know into into a guy who's you know 21 to 28 two touchdowns no interceptions 248 yards against uh against Ole Miss and they score 45 points um it, you you become efficient and uh you know I think his accuracy has improved improved a little bit they've cleaned up his footwork he did not develop a ton at Arizona state. I mean, just, it is, it is, it is what it is. So that, that has gone fast forward. They've hung 45, two weeks in a row. Um, he's five touchdowns, two interceptions and those two big sec games. Let's face it. A lot of people thought LSU was going to lose both those games. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, will that show again? Will that flash again? Can, can booty become the guy that we've thought he is? He's gotten better. Um, but he certainly hasn't balled out, uh, you know, at the receiver position for for LSU. So I think it's I think it's a pretty fascinating game, and in and, and it's an interesting test for Alabama. Of you know they've really struggled on the road. We've talked about that a bunch on this podcast, but we're going to talk mm-hmm. about it until they stop. Um, you know, can they go? Can they handle the environment? Will the penalties, the drop passes, the very un-Alabama like things that have come to really define this season for them in a lot of ways, will those show up in Tiger Stadium? Do you know the last time Alabama lost a road game and the opposing crowd did not storm the field? So I've heard this bandied about, and I don't remember, but it was over a decade ago. It was also the last time since 2008 that Alabama has been eliminated from the national championship race prior to either the final game of the season or the actual postseason. It was 2010 LSU in Baton Rouge, which was an afternoon game, which brings up something that I'm digging through that I've yet to find. The last Alabama coach not named Shula to actually lose a night game in Tiger Stadium is, I don't know, it might be pre-Bryant. Wow. They, 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 I'll tell you a quick story here that I've told before that I don't know if I've told you, new audience. When Bill Curry took over in 1987 as head coach at Alabama, Bill told me this story is hilarious. They're getting ready to go, their average Alabama team, they're getting ready to go play a top five LSU team in Baton Rouge. And he's getting up there and he's giving them the early in the week speech about, um, about the environment, 
tough, loud. We've got to be disciplined. And he had a defensive lineman sitting close to the front of the room, and he kept raising his hand saying, Coach, Coach. Just name was Willie Wyatt. Bill kept saying, just a minute, Willie. Bill goes on. He's still talking to him how we have to be locked in this week and intense in our preparation. It's going to be a raucous environment, and they've got a live tiger. And coach, coach. Finally, after about the third time, Willie Wyatt tried to interrupt him. Curry said, Willie, what do you want? And Willie Wyatt said, Tide don't lose in Baton Rouge. (laughs) He said, what? He goes, Tide don't lose in Baton Rouge. And so Bill said, I had my SID, look it up. And sure enough, at that time, it's 1987, they hadn't lost in Baton Rouge since 1969. They didn't lose again in Baton Rouge until Nick Saban took over as a head coach at LSU. And, and even, and even Saban, when he was there, Dennis Franchoni went down there and destroyed them 20 years ago, like 31 to nothing. I think it's the only time Saban's been shut out. So, there is a long and that LSU, to be fair, has had great success, sort of oddly. It's had really good success in Tuscaloosa and in hmm. Birmingham at different times over the years. But they've had a hard time beating Alabama and Baton Rouge for whatever reason. It's uh, be interesting that's, to see. That's that's pretty interesting. It'll you know, I think that the LSU fan base uh obviously dedicated, but they can be a little fickle, right? They can be a little bit up and down. I think if they can sense of vulnerability in Alabama here and sense a statement for Brian Kelly so early in his tenure, this, mm-hmm. this game, um, you know, look, I don't think we, we talked about LSU in the playoff where I don't think that's going to happen, but I think that what this game could mean for Brian Kelly and LSU early in his tenure from a recruiting standpoint, oh. from a reputational standpoint, from a, you know, LSU trying to restake its claim and legitimize all that buyout money that they've uh, that they've been burning through here the past few years. I really think that you know that that's what makes this game so big is that you know it's it's a future of the West. Um, you know, with Nick in his final few seasons, right? We don't know if it's two, we don't know if it's five, and then Brian Kelly trying to you know craft a decade run there. Um, it would certainly be a big start for them to to do it. And I think in week three, we would have thought there's no chance. And now I think there's, you know, there's a, there's a fairly there LSU, you, you can craft a way for LSU to, uh, to, to win this game, even though they are 13 point underdogs. I, I don't, I don't think it's a much of a stretch at all. LSU's playing, playing great ball. They've got the, you know, the mobile quarterback that can move the chains against Alabama. And Alabama is just not, I keep using this adjective. They just haven't looked crisp, you know? Mm-hmm. And so they don't, they, they're they good. I'm not trying to say they're not good. They are good. Yeah. But they don't look like those, uh, you know, rolling juggernauts of years gone yeah. by that, you know, you had to have a bunch of breaks go your way in order to have a chance. Get that that's not what this team is. And, you know, so Alabama and Georgia last year were ahead of the the field in college football. And then in 2020, Alabama was ahead of everybody, maybe even all teams in history. And I just think the realities of this season is that one to six has been has been lumped together a little bit. Yeah. Like uh, if Michigan went and played Georgia in a neutral field this year, I don't think it would look like it looked like in the college football playoff last year. So I just think there is there has been some parity inserted into this thing, and that's it's been an adrenaline shot for the entire sport. And uh, yeah, Alabama, there is there is there are mortal moments for Alabama. I, I talked to a scout th- this week um, for a story for dot com who said it's the the least amount of talent 
since he's gone through Alabama. Now, total talent, the high-end talent is great talent, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody's questioning Will Anderson. Nobody's questioning Bryce Young. They certainly have Gibbs, people think, will be the second tailback taken after B. John Robinson. He's electric. Mm -hmm. But there's a gap there where, you know, NFL scouts would go in and have, you know, a half dozen to 10 guys, you know, not 10, 10 a lot, but like a half dozen guys are like, this guy's a starter in the NFL. Mm -hmm. You know, they've certainly gotten 10 guys drafted for you could go through and grade these guys as an NFL starter and they don't have that, that high, high end depth, um, you know, one to 15, maybe that they've had in past years. It's going to be a a great Saturday for sure. Rankings are out. Uh, Looking forward to getting to Athens, man. It's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be, going to be a lot of fun, a great environment there. Number one against number three. We've broken down those two games extensively, touched on a few others, and we will hit a plethora of games in the Friday edition of the podcast when we make our picks in in the race for the ribeye. So uh, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you all the breakdowns and and Pete giving us some great intel. By the way, I want to bring this up. You mentioned talking to the coaches. Because of your work there, we fashioned a really cool segment on Saturday's show in which we're going to take some of the quotes anonymous. They'll be protected. Your sources will be completely protected and then have, um, have Kirk and Desmond, David and Pat take tape and put to it to either accentuate or question the point or how, or how um, the other team might attack this particular quote that the coach had. It's really, it's going to be some real behind the scenes, great XO stuff on Saturday morning from College Game Day. And guys are really excited about doing it, too. So thank you for that. You continue to contribute because you are the authority. Do you Have you had shirts printed up with the Pat McAfee nickname he's given you on there yet? Yeah, those are- <laughs> I, uh, I have not had any shirts uh, printed up. The only shirts I've contributed this year are my general booty shirts. Uh, I'm going to retire <laughs> with the general booty box showing up in Lawrence, Kansas. I think that's, that's, that's the most apparel I'm going to get in. Uh, maybe we can get you a mug at least that says the authority. You could a, a Yeti cup or something that says <laughs> the authority and just walk around with it all weekend. All right, Pete, we'll uh, we'll see you on Friday when we make some picks here. This has been the College Game Day Podcast. We thank you for listening and encourage you to download this podcast wherever it is that you prefer to get your listening enjoyment. <laughs>